Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran, and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia, and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature N, Blood and Bone, Seaweed, Biostimulants, Manure and Feather Meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. It is Monday morning. It's absolutely beautiful here in the West. We've got some lovely spring weather coming up. In fact, it's going to get a little bit on the warm side this week. Um, I've just come back from Broome, as some people will know. I think Christine Rankin knows that. And uh, it was magnificent up there. Such beautiful warm weather. We're very fortunate in the West to still be able to travel. Unfortunately, so many of us can't do that at the moment. But what we can do is spend time in the garden. And that's what this show is about, is helping you get the great results you want in your backyard And never has there been a better time to get out and do things because you will get great results over the next few months. So what we want to do is hear from you, hear about your garden challenges. Maybe you need to send us a photograph if it's something you'd like me to identify. I know we've already got a couple of those come through. And of course, if you have any questions, let us know where you're from. Um, So ideally state and and town or city where you're where you're from and that will help me answer the questions because we do have various uh, varying climates uh, right across the country later in today's show we've got David from Garden Express joining us uh, with a great offer and we we'll talk about uh, some of the things I know on the weekend we did the the um, peony rose uh, uh, story uh, and a special offer and uh, he'll tell us about how successful that was I think there's going to be a bit of disappointment for any of those that didn't get in early. Um, We'll also show you plan of the week. I've actually got a couple of them this week, so I'll show you a couple of different things. And of course, this is the time to be talking about vegetables and uh, we'll share some of that. We've got some prizes. We always have prizes for you. So uh, Fothergill Seeds, best questions. And we've got this thing. It's called a dibbler. It's for planting seeds in your garden. Handy little tool from our friends at Mr. Fothergill's. Uh, and I reckon that we should get into questions because they are flowing through. Now, Elizabeth, you didn't tell us where you're from, but uh, in this particular instance, it probably doesn't matter an awful lot. She's got an issue with her rhubarb, and I think uh, we might be able to get a photo up and show you what that looks like. You can see um, the issue with the rhubarb is basically that uh, there's lots of spots on the leaves. Now, believe it or not, it's not a concern it's a plant that uh, tends to not really take off until we get into some warmer conditions. And you're seeing winter damage there. Now, rhubarb leaves can get things like rust, but I don't think that's what that is. I think that's just cooler conditions and a bit of bruising and unfortunately a little bit of damage coming through. But in the next month, Elizabeth, you will see a lot of growth come through, which uh, will be fantastic. And and then your rhubarb will be ready to start looking at harvesting, which is a key to, to keeping them looking great and growing strongly. Uh, Jennifer's in Melbourne. Uh, she's got two young quince trees. Very excited to pick fruit last year, but you had some little black worms and larvae inside them. What well, can you spray in the leaves now so it doesn't happen again? Well, it doesn't quite work that way, Jennifer. What you're going to have to do is wait until it's gone into flower and fruit is setting and when the fruit is set and starts to develop you don't want it to be completely full size but not far off that full size you are going to need to use a fruit fly spray because those little black worms or larvae as you correctly picked it um, they are probably fruit fly which is disappointing when you're looking to get some great quince in fact we've been enjoying the the spoils of our quince 
this last season uh, right through the winter months um, with quince paste. So uh, such a great tree, wonderful thing to to make for desserts as well. There's so many different ways to use it. And if you've got any recipes, always remember you can share them with us on our Facebook page. Carol, um, again, not sure where you're from, Carol, but she's got a plant called Geisha Girl. I don't know whether you've seen this. It's a Duranta, um, absolutely gorgeous. It tends to be a bit of a shrub, but um, they can get quite quite tall, and that's exactly what's happened here. She's calling them trees, and she's pruned them recently. Can I suggest a good fertiliser for them? Uh, you're hoping to get lots of flowers this year for your blue band of bees, and they will provide pollen for blue band of bees, which is a native bee, but... Um, what I would suggest you do is they should be starting to grow away quite strongly at the moment. So using a controlled release. Now, you know Osmocote, um, but I, I wouldn't be using this particular one because this is for tomatoes, vegetables, etc. and I'll talk about this later. But there is the general Osmocote, the all-purpose, and that is the one I would be using for Geisha Girl, Duranta Geisha Girl, the most beautiful cascading racemes of blue flowers. They are just delightful. Uh Staying, uh, well, actually going to Melbourne, what's the best grass to grow on the south side of your house? It gets no sun at all, but I'd love some lawn for the grandkids to play on. Jane, great question. The problem with grass, um, the typical grass varieties, is that they do require sunlight. Very few of them will, will grow with no sunlight. The very best varieties might do okay with a minimum of six hours direct sunlight during the day, but anything less than that, um, they tend to get patchy, thin and won't do a good job. However, that's where grass alternatives come in. And there's one called Dichondra that you might want to keep your eye out for. It's absolutely brilliant. Little round leaves, they sometimes call it kid kidney weed, which is probably not quite the the um, the best description of it. It's a, it's a lovely little ground cover, does really well in shade. And even if you've got lawn, what it'll do is it'll grow in the shady spots up to where the lawn will grow, it tends not to grow too far into the lawn, and the lawn will kind of come up and so you'll end up with a nice green uh, surface for the kids to play on. And it does handle a little bit of wear and tear. There are a few other um, lawn alternatives that are available, uh, but this is probably your best option. I hope that that helps. Now, make sure you send us in your questions. Make sure you tell us where you're from. David's done that. Um, we're not sure where you are from, David. You didn't tell us, but what's the best way to remove weeds in brick paving? Well, look, there are some permanent weed sprays you can you can use. So there is um, uh, what they call paving weeders. Uh, these tend to be very high salt herbicides, and that salt basically burns out any seeds and anything that's going to grow in there. If you're going to use a herbicide, that's the best way to go. If not, a nice flat spade, move across and just take them out, just scrape across the top and uh, break them off. And that should, as a general comment, if it's not too excessive, uh, give you the ability to get full control. Now, we're going to head to Sydney, and Sydney at the moment is going through some big challenges as well. Um, I hope that everybody is well there, and, and uh, I hope you're tuning in today and that we can help you with your garden. We've got a couple of good questions just coming in, actually. Um, Alicia has got a great one. I've got a few fruit trees that I planted six months ago, an avocado, a mango, an orange, and a lemon tree. Now, do I have any pruning tips? Well, interestingly enough, citrus and uh, your mango and avocado they need to be separated. So citrus should be finishing their fruiting process at the moment. If you've got a Eureka lemon, probably still got lemons on board, but you can go through and I would just prune to shape with those. So prune back down. You don't want to cut them too hard because they'll be coming into flower, but the idea is to thin the tree out, allow a little bit of light in through the tree, and that just encourages lots and lots of new growth and lots and lots of flower, which is really important because that's your fruit set for next year. Avocados, avocados are in flower now. You do not want to prune them at all. And most of the mango varieties are the same. They're about to come into flower, so don't go pruning them back. You prune them when they've actually finished flower or finished fruiting. Um, that's the best time to do it. And, and generally, uh, with mangoes, it needs to be pretty much in the peak of summer. So some mango varieties are as late as April, um, even May in the cooler locations. And you don't want to really prune them too hard unless you have to. So uh, what's not good is to go into a cold winter with a tropical tree like a mango um, with it exposed. It really can set them back quite severely. Avocados do it when they finished um, fruiting. And so it depends on your variety. But, but mine are right in flower at the moment. And the last thing I want to do is cut the flowers off because I won't get any fruit. I hope that makes sense. Alex is in Sydney as well. And Alex sent us a photo 
not the best photo, but I was able to have a look, and I'm not sure if we've got that up for you to have a squeeze at, but you'll see this is a, a an interesting little thing. Alexis said, I've got this growing in my front lawn. Can you tell me what it is? Well, I can tell you, Alex, that that is a freesia flower. Um, so you've got little freesia bulbs, looks like, in the lawn, and it looks to me like your lawn variety is probably a buffalo. Now, they tend not to grow during the winter months. There you go. You can see it. Um, they tend not to grow in the winter months. They tend to be um, a little bit on the on the sort of slow side. And this is a good time to actually put something like freesias in, and it'll give you a lot of little flowers. So for those of you, if you're thinking creatively, um, it's probably just about too late to get your hands on freesia bulbs from Garden Express, but think forward into, into next year. If you've got a lawn like this and you want to bring some colour into the lawn when it's getting knocked around by cold winter days, um, you're not going to do a lot of mowing during the winter. So just stop mowing, put some freesia bulbs in, let them pop up, and you'll have that effect, Alex. And that's a good thing uh, as far as a garden goes. I hope that helps uh, you. Now, remember, if, if you like what we're doing, if you like the the, uh, the questions being answered, um, hit the like button. It, it shares it with your friends and it helps us build our audience up so more and more people are aware and able to participate and share their gardening questions and, and problems also with us as well. And, and it gives me a chance to help answer them. Now, you'll know, uh, so for, gee, the last 20 years I've been doing the Garden Gurus, it's hard to believe. It's been a, a heck of a good ride for a television program uh, in, in Australia, any, any genre at all. But gardening is one that we all tend to have a garden or we want to have plants. And it's one of those things where you work uh, to assist people and make the the success rate that they're enjoying a lot better. One of the problems with vegetable gardening is that if we're constantly growing in the same veggie patch, each year you put a crop in, it takes goodness out. And when it takes the goodness out of the crop um, or out of the soil, it needs to be replaced. You can't um, go and plant another crop in of the same type of plant because that plant will be searching for those nutrients and they won't be there. Now, it's really important for you as well from a health point of view that when you're growing food, that it has all the nutrients in the soil. That's the key to really good gardens, the soil, um, for your plants to take up. Now, you can put compost in, no problems at all with that. But the truth of the matter is that you do need to add minerals. And minerals are something that are, are there and the plant will take it up and they don't, they can't be put in, they're not created through an organic process they are something that needs to be added back into the soil. This is where fertiliser is vitally important for crops because in a home veggie garden environment, we are intensive farming. It is the most intensive farming of the lot. So what you tend to find is when you first start, the first couple of seasons, you'll have really good results. And if you're not putting the food into the soil, you'll end up with problems. So I just wanted to show this because this is um, this is something from Osmocote. It's the tomato, vegetable and herb Osmocote mix and you can see it right there so it comes in uh, one kilo tubs and in, in bigger tubs and smaller tubs as well this is a really important thing to add into the soil now and i wanted to show you this now you probably can't read it but that is your nutritional rating down there now this is the most important bit of information you'll get with a fertilizer and it's why fertilizers have different uses so it's not like every fertilizer is the same and it sits in a different package. This one's got different nutrients in here that are really important for certain plants. For example, this has got a really good source of calcium. In fact, it's very high in calcium, vitally important for tomatoes. Now, tomatoes, if they don't have enough calcium, get a big black spot on the bottom of the, of the fruit and it's called blossomine rot. Now, this is, it's not a disease as such, or it is a disease, I suppose, but it's not a pest causing this problem. This is actually caused through a lack of, of a nutrient. And this is the sort of thing that we'll have in our garden if we don't supply a good all-round supply of nutrients. The good thing about this is you don't have to worry about how much you put down. You can be quite generous with it. Follow the, follow the guidelines, and I think it's about 60 grams per square metre. It's about a handful for me. Um, but if you used more, it wouldn't really be a big issue because this is a controlled release fertilizer and plants are like us. They need small amounts of nutrient on a regular basis. 
And if you're feeding every day, your plants get big and strong. And if they've got all the vitamins and minerals that they need, they will be robust and they'll be able to fight off pests and diseases as well. So it means you use less chemicals to keep your plants looking great or, or having to come up with other ways of controlling pests. This is the time of year to be putting this in. And this will feed your garden for six months. Six months. It's also got a wetting agent in there too. So if your soil's not too good, that's uh, that's it's going to be a bit of a bonus. And if you're growing leafy vegetables, iron and magnesium are two really important nutrients. They're greening nutrients, a bit like nitrogen. If you've got like green veins on your veggies or on your plants, it's a lack of iron. And if it's just a yellowish leaf, it's generally a lack of magnesium. Um, you can add them as supplements later on. But to be quite honest, that balanced nutrient list on the back is the key to a successful vegetable garden. So like I said to you, I use about a handful per square metre in my garden. It's really good to put in straight away. You can plant your seedlings in amongst it. So if you're planting this weekend or you're planting now, don't be scared to put this in. Plant them, get this into the soil. I can, look, you can top dress it or you can dig it into the surface of the soil if you want. It works really well doesn't burn your plants, just encourages strong growth, and that's what it's all about. So Osmocote, it is a solution right at the moment. Tomato, vegetable, and herb. Have a look at that. You'll get it at your local garden centre, at your local bunning store. It's in all sorts of interesting places. Now, hopefully that helps you with your veggies. If you've got any questions, don't hesitate to, to write into us right now. Tell us where you are. And we'll talk about um, we will talk about that a little bit further. We are getting lots of questions flowing through though, right at the moment. In fact, um, we'll go to Manila in New South Wales. Sarah has asked. Now, um, I think I'm not quite sure what the plant is. You think that you're you've got here, um, Sarah? She's planted a phacelia. I I think that's a phalaenopsis. I reckon is what you're talking about. Um, you're wondering about how it grows and does it need staking or is it a ground cover? I am not 100% sure. I'm going to look into that and I'll come back to you. Only goes to prove I am human and don't know all of the uh, the plants and all the questions out there. We'll check that out for you though, Sarah, in a moment. Now, Carol is from Riverton in Perth. What vegetables do we plant now? Well, right now you can grow just about anything. So a lot of the a really good group of plants to be putting into the garden right at this moment. You've only got a window of opportunity that's that's quite narrow now. Um, they're generally good winter crops, but but particularly good in springtime whilst the weather is relatively cool. And that is peas and beans. And what's so good about them is that uh, they take nitrogen out of the atmosphere and they fix it in the soil. So they're a really good green crop, one of those soil building crops. Um, to ensure that you're getting great results. And you can mix plants together like that. So growing beans, for example, and tomatoes is a really good way to go. Um, obviously, you need to stake them, but some people don't even bother doing that. So they'll grow beans and corn and let the beans run up the corn stems as they grow. So hopefully um, it, it uh, helps you out a little bit there. Carol. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Eurisha uh, is from Craigieburn in Victoria. Hi, Eurisha. Uh, thanks for joining us. I've been gifted with some young raspberry plants. Haven't grown them before. Are there any tips or tricks to growing them? There are some fruiting variety on their second-year canes, right? So most, most there are some first-year fruiting varieties Um uh, of raspberries that tend to be the evergreen form or the thornless form but the traditional um, high quality raspberry fruit will always fruit off second year cane so what you don't want to do is at the end of the season cut all your canes right back down to the ground because you're not going to get any fruit next year you want all those new canes coming through and when they go into their third year they get really woody so you remove those anyway what i would do 
is I'd be feeding them right at the moment, encouraging them to grow and fill out. I'm not sure whether you've got them in pots or whether you've got them in garden beds. doesn't really matter just at the moment as long as they've got good soil, lots of sunlight, so they love to have it nice and warm, and you are feeding them because they are about to put on a lot of growth and a lot of flower. Um, and, again, just, just on a, a fertiliser like this, when you look at the analysis of it, um, this one's got um, 6.8, yeah, 6.8% um, potassium. Now, potassium, that's a really important, <clears throat> really important nutrient, sorry about that, um, that encourages fruit development and flower and supports it really well. Um, when you look at your analysis of your fertilisers you're using, this wouldn't be a bad one for raspberries, but you'll find a lot of the fruit fertilizers actually have larger levels of of that particular so you've always got your npk if you've got lots of n nitrogen you're going to get lots of growth and phosphorus well that's going to encourage root growth and development and tends to make a plant stronger so able to resist pest and disease but the one that's really important is the potassium for fruiting plants. So you'll find a specialist mix like that, it's going to have a higher level of potassium, which will, will continue to grow and support um, the, the the actual development of that side of things. Okay, let's have a look through. We'll go, we'll stay in Victoria. Myrtle is from Wall Wallet. I'm not sure. I haven't done much sure where Wallet is, but um, I'd like to plant and harvest spinach and corianders. Can I still plant them in shaded areas? That's an interesting question, Myrtle. Um, that's it's a bit difficult with spinach. Coriander will grow in shaded areas. It tends to be a little bit elongated. Um, first thing first, uh, the spinach is best to be grown in full sun. It, there's no doubt about it. Um, it depends on the types of spinach you grow. So if you were to use one of the native ones, like warrigal spinach, what you'd find is that that can actually grow quite well in shade. But if you're growing the traditional spinach, the English spinach that we love, um, much prefer full sun. And there are some sort of derivatives of spinach, if you like, um, that you can sort of grow that will grow in sort of probably a mixture of areas. But I would be looking at your spinach being in sun. Coriander can grow in shade. And, and one of the interesting things about coriander is if you think, if you love that particular herb, this is the time of year to be planting it and growing it because a lot of people think it's a tropical plant associated with, you know, Asian cuisine, particularly Thai uh, cuisine, and therefore you think it comes from a warm climate, but it doesn't. It comes from very high regions and it generates huge amounts of growth during the cool weather and then during the warm weather it goes to seed and that's the bit that people don't like. So coriander now, yep. You can put it into a shaded area. It will actually continue on a lot longer. But as you move into the summer months, look for the slow bolt varieties of coriander, um, and that's literally what they're called, and they will do a lot better job for you. Okay. Now uh, we'll keep um, running through here. Uh, Matthew, unknown, our black boy grass tree seems to have died. We think it's lost all its grass now and its top's fallen off. How to tell if it's officially dead. Matthew, I'm afraid it's officially dead. I've just announced it. It is definitely a big problem. Once you've got the top broken off, it's very rare for them to produce a little side shoot. Um, they do have the ability to branch, but, yeah, once they get that rot in the top, it's very, very difficult to stop. And grass trees don't handle the, the transplant um, process can set them back and shock them quite a lot. And this leaves them vulnerable to pest disease. So barty grubs tend to get into them and bore holes. That can be a killer. The other one is that they do get fungal diseases. Uh, and you can use a product like Yates Anti-Rot. It's probably one of the few things that I've seen that does slow it down. Um, there's another one called Fosject, which is also quite effective. But again, I'm not quite sure whether you can get that in your local garden centre. You'll need to ask your local garden centre um, about that particular one. But Yates Andy Rot, in future, if anybody's got this problem at home and, and pretty much everybody's experienced it at some point or another if they've had a grass tree, um, the best way to stop the rot is to get it immediately. As soon as you start to see it dying back, is to hit it pretty hard with one of those things. And you can see the body grub boreholes. What happens is you get a sap come out and it forms a big, like a reddish sort of nodule of, of hardened resin. And um, that is the sign that you've got body grubs. Hopefully that helps. 
All right, let's go to Tassie. We haven't been to Tasmania for a while. Um, Bridgeport, coastal Tasmania. Can I put on what? Can I put on uh, dirt to enrich the iron, please? You've got camellias, bottle brushes with yellow leaves and green veins. Definitely iron deficiency. Well read, Donna. Um, in a situation where you're lacking like that, you probably want to apply iron chelate. So it's spelled C H E L A T E. Some people call them chelates. Um, some people go to the chemist and some people go to the chemist. It's really up to you which one you prefer, but it it, it is a really fast-acting iron release and you can apply it in a couple of ways. Follow the directions on the packet, but um, that's probably your short-term fix. Your long-term fix is to take a look at your soil pH and establish whether you're on the alkaline side because if you're on the alkaline side, and a lot of coastal areas are, um, what you're going to have a problem with is iron being locked up in the soil. So you can have iron in there, but it's not available to the plant. So your goal will be to try and acidify the soil a little bit and that as, as the soil becomes more acid, so as you're balancing your pH out, um, you'll find the release of iron becomes greater and your plants will get a lovely dark green sign, but, but a, sh a shine, I should say. Um, but camellias and bottle brushes are really good plants as far as indicators go, and my suggestion is that you've probably got a pH problem. So short-term, iron chelate. Long-term, change the pH of your soil, and you generally do that by using acidic fertilisers or introducing mulches, things like pine needles from pine trees, which are generally very acidic. Right, wow. We um, are belting along. We've got questions coming through from quite a few from New South Wales coming up pretty soon. But before we move into that, let's head across to Victoria because we've got our good mate, David Van Burkle. Good to see you, David. How are you doing? Yeah, good, Trevor. And yourself? Oh, mate, I'm tanned and relaxed and uh, first day back at work, caught up with you. I know you had a good weekend. I know you guys were flat out busy because I've been talking to people who are disappointed because they can't get their hands on any more peonies. I know. Like it's, uh, well, it's just a year for selling out, Trevor. Everything's, uh, everyone's in lockdown and uh, so the web, the web store is super popular. Uh, and, of course, peonies are making a bit of a comeback, mate. They're um, you know, a long-lived plant and everybody wants them. It's, it's one of those things. It's um, when you see the flowers of peonies, you just fall in love with them. They are just one of those gorgeous plants. And they, they kind of went out of vogue for some strange reason for quite a few years. But I think as we've, in the last couple of years, obviously we've spent so much time in, in lockdown. Um, as we've sort of gone back into that sort of mode, we've really looked at plants and so, and, and re-seen the, the beauty of them and gone, well, actually I could put that in my garden here and my garden there. And it's one of the jobs that you guys at Garden Express do so well with your online catalogues is people can sit and look at the flowers and go, oh, I can imagine that in my courtyard or I can imagine that under these trees. And it's 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 the inspiration you, you guys provide. And, of course, it's all delivered direct to people's doorsteps too. Oh, absolutely. And, and the thing with peonies is they are such a big, beautiful and, and highly perfumed bloom. And, and I think the cut flower trade is maybe helping us a little bit there. There's tens of thousands of stems being put into the market each mm -hmm. year. People must be seeing them and wondering where that, you know, beautiful, different flower comes from. Hey, um, with, with, you know, so we've talked about peonies, but there's a lot of, lot of these sorts of plants that are making a big comeback at the moment. Things like um, polyanthus, you know, the tuber roses. Suddenly people are asking me about those. Um, hippiastrums, good example. Yeah, look, exactly. And I wish you didn't mention tuberose. There's definitely a shortage on the tuberose this year. I've had a couple yep. of uh, cut flower growers who have harvested the last of their crop and decided not to do it as a cut flower anymore. Some reason oh. losing a bit of popularity there. But we're a couple of years away from making those into a saleable size bulb. So, um, and, and I'm desperately trying, Trev. I've seen a rose pink, a soft rose pink, and wow. a lemon uh, tuberose in Europe. But Australia's quarantine won't let me get them in at the moment. So I'm working really hard on how I can um, work through that program and get these ones approved. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing with tuberoses is, it, for those people who don't know it, it, it is a bulb and it produces these wonderful long stems with generally a lovely creamy flower, but the fragrance of those flowers 
is simply superb, isn't it? It's it's like a frangipani, but really, really strong. You know, close up to the blue, it's so much stronger than a frangipani. But it, it is delicious. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking about things that people can't get their hands on, and unfortunately, peonies are one. How many hippiastrums are left, David? Uh, there's still a few hippiastrums. I think most of our collections have sold out, Trev. Um, yep. We've got a, a few good solid varieties, and I think we brought some late ones onto the market as well a couple of weeks ago. So there's a few of those still left. Uh, we've also got a few more dahlias hitting the store in the next week or so. Right. Um, it's a big job, you know, harvesting the dahlias, massive crop. And a lot of manual labour to trim them up and, and, and make them look nice for um, for shipping out. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, now's the time to be getting them into the ground. And I, I know that uh, some of my my dahlias are just showing signs of emerging with, with new growth now. And this is that, that pivotal moment when your spring flowering bulbs will be peaking, starting to come to the end of their run. And it's the time to be getting in your summer flowering bulbs, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So you've got sort of, you know, through... May, June and July, we sell a lot of the early summering to midsummer flowering plants. The dahlias would be one of those later ones. But, of course, as soon as the weather turns, which we're having here in uh, Victoria this last week or so, um, you start to see the little eyes creep on and they want to go into that next phase. So if you have them in the ground, dahlias could already be a couple of inches, uh, you know, proud of the ground. Uh, but yep. The ones that we harvested, of course, they're, they're going to be set back a little bit. And yeah, um, yeah. But I've seen a couple with the eyes poking up. Yeah, yeah, might have just started showing those signs, and it's it's only the beginning, but might have been in the ground now for a year or two in some instances. So they're always going to be a bit earlier. Um, one of the things that I thought um, was I don't know, you know, that I I, I just felt was a, an important part of my season last year was the addition of some some early summer flowering bulbs. So they'd be early for me. Some of them sort of get right through to the middle, but. Um, I thought the the most important one um, that that I've added is calla lilies, and now's the time to be getting your hands on on those as well. It's another one that'll be popping up in your collections either now or pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, calla lilies are a really interesting bulb. You can take them out of the ground and at the right temperature, store them for almost eighteen months before you have to plant them. And a lot of the summer flowering bulbs that we take out of the ground, they kind of get knocked about a little bit, I suppose, in terms of their seasonal. Um, their seasonal reproduction or when they would start to grow. And as you said about a dahlia, if, if I plant a dahlia tuber at the end of September, I probably would get a few flowers just before Christmas. But yep. last year's dahlia tuber will come up already, you know, at the beginning to the middle of November. Um, mm-hmm. So calla lilies are one of those long flowering. We, we can start with flowers at the beginning of October, Trev, and yep. then all the way through till the end of February, maybe even March wow. with, uh, in a warmer climate, yeah. And, and a great range of different colours too. Um, they become the staple, I noticed, in my local florist. They use them continuously throughout the year because the flower variation in colour is so good. Yeah, oh, there's, there's some rippers, mate. There's, uh, you know, your traditional yellow ones. Um, yellow and mango are probably the most uh, most common ones that you can find. But there's a beautiful one called Picasso uh, or Purple Eye and it's, yeah. um, it's really white on the outside and deep in the throat is it's a really brilliant purple. Um, right. so hot chocolate is another really tall variety, really good cut flower, and they last for six to eight weeks in a vase. Yeah, how good's that? Uh, and these are a number of those those bulbs during the summer that actually originate from South Africa, or, or you know certainly from Africa, if, if not South Africa, and um, they're so suited to our climate. They're so adapted. They'll they'll doesn't matter where you are in Australia. They'll they'll generally perform really well. Yeah, absolutely. The beauty with the summer flowering range too, Trevor, is that you can actually, you get a longer season of, you know, flowering your garden. So spring flowering is fairly short and sharp. You know, we start at the beginning of August or late July with hyacinths uh, and really by the end of October you're finished, whereas summer can start already at the beginning of October and go all the way through to March and April. And there's a lot of bulbs, gladiolis, lilies, um, even the dahlias, depending on when you plant them, you yep. can have that sort of 90 days till flowering. So if you're planting multiple sections, um, you know, you can have flowers starting in November uh, all the way through Christmas to, to the other end of summer. Yeah, I've got my, my – you just reminded me, my gladdies are also poking their heads up as well now. So another great bulb. Now, David, um, obviously every week – uh, on the Garden Gurus on Channel 9, we will showcase some new offer. And generally these things, they don't last very long. Um, people, often people will say, oh, you know, like I was just too slow to get in. But I, I've seen it where some 
you know, before the program's finished, you've had so many orders come through that some are completely sold out. So the key is to get in early, but sometimes the best way to get in early is to get your online newsletter, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to subscribe to, uh, to Garden Express, visit the store, and there's a little subscription tab there. But also we do a lot of uh, Facebook promotions, so we might release something a little bit early or something a bit limited uh, yeah. via Facebook. Uh, so that's at fa- uh, Facebook forward slash Garden Express. Uh, and then we're also throwing up some really exciting pictures from time to time on um, Instagram at garden yeah. underscore express. Uh, just coming, speaking of different mechanisms, we've got um, LCs come through to us via YouTube. Just wanted to say, um, just just wanted to tell you that seven of the nine uh, peonies that they've got, uh, that they've purchased are in bud. How good's that? That's incredible. That's incredible. That's really good to hear. And peonies are one of those that really can take a couple of years to come back to bloom once mm-hmm. you harvest them. So a little bit of backstory on the peonies, you know, being a, a cool climate Japanese type of breed. Um, mm-hmm. The Americans have done a lot of work bringing in some really good colours. Um, and then, But the plant sort of at about five years is maybe hitting its premium cut flower mojo, so to speak. Right. Uh, And then it can continue on for 25, 30, up to 50 years in your garden. So once we harvest that uh, and break a big clump apart, you know, there'd be 30 or 40 eyes, uh, it often just takes that first year to resettle its roots and and find its flowering mojo. So Mm. to be already, that's fantastic. And, David, for those people who haven't seen them or don't know, I I I was very, very lucky because once upon a time, in a time far, far away, we used to be able to travel overseas. And I was very fortunate to be filming in lots of different countries. And one of the countries where I first saw peonies at their absolute best was about uh, 45 kilometres out of Seoul uh, in South Korea. There's a garden there called the Garden of Morning Calm. It's spectacular. It's absolutely beautiful. And down the side of one of the, the mountains, it's sort of set in a mountain range, and down the side of one of the mountains is a path. And as you walk through the path, um, it's just peonies on either side all the way through and literally probably at about chest height with just these massive flowers just absolutely everywhere and and a fragrance and you just walked around and there was just there would have been the day we were there i reckon 10,000 Koreans all with their cameras out everybody taking photos um, of the flowers they they are something to really behold they're just so spectacular, you know. And uh, as I said, it's a, it's a long-lived plant. It's worth the wait a couple of years. Um, using a bit of lime, they love lime to uh, to build the flower energy in each yep. of the bowls. So every year, like a shovel full of lime per plant, you can wow. never overdo it. Yep. So they're quite heavy with that regard. And um, when when we were growing them as a kid, I remember putting the blood and bone out. That was probably the smelliest job ever. Um, yep. But only every three years we would top it up with some blood and bone for, for a really mm. great yeah. Great tips, mate. Now, listen, people can jump online to Garden Express and there's so many different offers, different things that are available right now And because for so many of us we're stuck at home. Um, one of the things that's very good for us from a mental health point of view and general health point of view is to get out and get into the garden they can look through your catalogue and see all sorts of things, place their orders, and then you ship via Australia Post. How, how long does it take generally to get an order and then ship it? Generally, we're, we're processing orders within a few days, but at the moment, of course, there's a, there's a big backlog uh, of orders through COVID, and also Australia Post took a, a four-day break from picking up mail crates. So there will be a little bit of a delay with Australia Post. They're having difficulty um, you know, getting all the drivers on the road every day. Uh, yep. You would think lockdowns at the road are pretty free, but they just can't get the, the full amount of staff to cope with the demand across all levels of online shopping. So at the moment, we're out to about 14 days, maybe a little bit longer. Um, so a couple to, of weeks. In order to deliver, yep. yep. Yeah. And also oh, for, sorry, Trip. Also for the guys in WA, we don't ship every day to WA because we have to go through those quarantine processes. Yep. So uh, for WA, we send a shipment every week uh, on a Thursday, so it's arriving fresh in the middle of the next week. All right, everybody in Perth, get your orders in straight after the show. That's the key. Terrific, mate. Sounds good. So there might be still a few peonies on, online, but not in the collection. I think we had the Guru's collection yep. already uh, already sold out before uh, before the weekend. 
um, which is pretty phenomenal, right? We, we prepare something for, for this episode and it's already gone. So, uh, yeah. But, but in saying that, there's still some, you've obviously just indicated there's still some there. So there, there might be some individual like, varieties, yeah. So yeah. it would be just the tail end. Uh, I've got Rowan looking at me going, Dave, you shouldn't have said that. Uh, <laughs> if not gone, then gone in the next five minutes. <laughs> well, look, whilst you're there checking out the catalogue, there's so many different plants to see, to look at. Now's a great time to go shopping and it's a, it's a wonderful way to to stay safe in these very difficult times, have your plants delivered direct to your doorstep. And all people have to do, David, is go to gardenexpress.com.au. Correct. Perfect, Trevor. That's how you do it. Um, getting early is the key. All right, mate. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to catch up. Good talking to you. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. All right, let's um, keep rolling along because we have got a lot of questions coming through. Now, folks, remember when you send us your questions, tell us where you're from. Um, tell us, uh, you know, if, you're, if you've got a particular problem, if it's a, something you want me to identify, send us a photo. And if you like what we're doing, please press like. Hit the like button, shares it with your friends, and more of us get to... Uh, get to share and, and ask questions and interact, and that's what it's all about. Kathy is in Sydney. Hello, Kathy. You're enjoying your spring blooms, and I'm seeing them come through in my garden too. In fact, I'll be shooting some stuff in my garden a bit later on today, so in a couple of weeks' time on the Garden Gurus, you'll get to see some of the colour that is starting to come through, and it's really good at the moment. You've got uh, sweet peas. Now, that's a classic old-fashioned plant. Um, how long will they continue to pr produce flowers for? Basically until the weather heats up beyond about 27 degrees. Once you cross over that, you've got about two weeks, and they'll all go into seed. So it's it's basically based on the on the weather. They'll if it stays cool, they'll they'll be okay. But um, if not, they'll start to go to seed soon after that. And collect the seeds because what you'll find is next year the flowers will be even better again. The plants will be even better adapted to the environment that they that you live in and that they're growing in. So it's a, a handy little tip. Don't go pulling them out, collect the seeds, then pull them out. Trisha is in Newcastle. Hello, Trisha. Uh, you've got a persimmon tree. It's over 10 years old. When should I prune it? What causes fruit to drop before it ripens? Also, you think that the possums might pinch a few. Well, if they're pinching a few, it's all right. Persimmons are known as khaki fruit in Japan, so it's a Japanese fruit, absolutely delicious. There's there's two types. There's the astringent form, which is that soft, mushy one that leaves like a furry taste on your on your tongue, and some people don't like that at all. And there's a the non-astringent one, like Fuji, which is a crunchy one, which you know you can bite in. It's sweet, almost like an apple. Um, gorgeous tree. The astringent varieties tend to be really ornamental, so. These are trees that colour up beautifully in the autumn. The foliage is magnificent. And then they have this habit, within two weeks they drop all the foliage and that reveals all the fruit that's sitting there. The non-astringent forms tend to hold the, the fruit for as long as the foliage is on. And then basically when the foliage starts dropping, they'll start dropping fruit. So it's basically telling you at that point that you should be getting the fruit off the tree. If they're dropping earlier, tends to be an indication that the tree is drying out and it's managing the amount of moisture that it feeds into the various parts of the tree. Very clever how they work. And we'll see this, I'll start seeing this in my garden in about a month's time. All the winter rain we've had, the soil will start to dry. And as it dries, trees will start shedding leaves. At the moment, they're carrying a lot of foliage, but they'll start, this is the evergreen trees, they'll start shedding some foliage as we move into summer, particularly gums. It's incredible how Mother Nature works, but when you look at it and you and you start to see what's happening, it, it makes sense. It becomes logical and you can work with it. So uh, I hope that helps. Great tree, persimmon trees. Love them. Well done, Tricia. Svetlana is in Perth. Uh, I'd really like to know when it's okay to start using foliage fertiliser for outdoor plants. Svetlana, right now, right now, it's the hose-on fertilisers, the foliage fertilisers, the liquids that you're pouring over your pot plants and so on. This is when you get the very best results because it really does do a job. And um, Faye, we're not sure where you're from, Faye, but you're asking about what the best fertiliser is for rhubarb. That is a pretty good fertiliser. So that's that, that one I showed before, tomato, vegetable and herb, osmocote, 
Can't go wrong with that because it's a long, steady uh, feed. But also liquid fertilizers over the foliage will stimulate really fast growth and very big foliage, very big leaves. And um, the key here, of course, is with that particular type of plant where you're using the, the stems and not so much the leaves themselves because they can be actually used, they've got a toxin and they can be used to, um, to treat insects. Um, what you want to do is you want to encourage leaf growth, so a little bit more nitrogen. This one's actually got a reasonably large amount of nitrogen in there at about 17.3%. About 11% of that is urea, and urea will really push um, strong foliage growth. So I'd go for that one. Leah, unknown, my kids are loving bananas at the moment. Um, what plants would benefit best from the banana peels? Okay, so let's have a think about this. Ferns. Absolutely love it. In fact, staghorns stuffing the banana skins in behind the sheath of the of staghorns and elks, brilliant. A really good source of fertilizer. If you want to get your um, some plants like say spathophyllum, um, caladiums, um, the flowering forms of uh, of those sorts of plants into flower. If you can't get them into flower, putting a plastic bag over the top of the pot, putting a whole bunch of banana skins in around the base and then sealing the pot with a lucky band or sealing the bag around the pot with a lucky band so that it's completely contained. Do that, leave it for about a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks at the most, then take it off. The banana skins will have broken down. They will have released a huge amount of ethylene gas. And when you gas these plants with ethylene gas, it stimulates really good flower. Another group of plants that... Uh, benefit from the same treatment is uh, the bromeliads. So flowering bromeliads, if you can't get the bromeliads to come back into flower and they're only producing foliage, it's the way to do it. So it's a cheat, but it's a good way to use banana skins. Um, hopefully that helps. Plant of the week. I couldn't quite make up my mind this morning because my verge is alive with these beautiful plants. And I wanted to sort of suggest to you that you think about them but don't think about necessarily planting them now because unless you're buying them as seedlings, um, they're really not going to do a lot. Now, when I asked the team here what they were, um, I couldn't believe it. They actually got it right. Everlastings. And aren't they just gorgeous? And they come in whites, pinks, and some quite dark, almost a red there coming through. Uh, this is a West Australian wildflower. It's an annual and it's very, very easy to grow. But the time to buy your seed is usually May, June, and plant your seed in July when the ground is really nice and wet, and they'll germinate. Um, the trick is you don't sow on a windy day. You sow on a day, and ideally straight after it's rained, and then you spread the seed out, which is very papery, and it's actually it's all sitting in here, and you just literally spread it all out, and they will germinate within about seven days, and within probably six weeks, there'll be a mass of flower. And I have literally thousands of these on my verge, and I'm expecting the neighbours to be sending me letters of thanks very soon. If any of the neighbours have um, tuned in, then just send me a note because um, I know you'll love them, and I'd be happy for you to pick some bunches of flowers. All right, I'm being serious now. How about this one? Do you know this one? This is gorgeous. This is an old-fashioned shrub. It's a deciduous shrub, so it's just produced all this new growth and these beautiful little white flowers. It's called English May. And it is one of my favourites. It is an old-fashioned one. You will find it's been making a bit of a comeback um, in garden centres. There's a couple of different colours. This is the this is the traditional white, and it's a little double white, but absolutely stunning. And it's a shrub about two metres tall by about a metre and a half wide. And there would be, I'm going to take a guess, 10,000 of these flowers on, on a shrub that's about four years old. So just a gorgeous plant to put into the garden if you've got the right spot. English May, Spirea, and it is one of my all-time favourites. I don't know if you've got that one growing at home or if you've got any other plants that you're just madly in love with at the moment, but why don't you share a photo with us? Why don't you send a, a little shot through to our Facebook page and we can take a look at it and um, maybe share that with some of our friends and admire it. Now, we've got an awesome episode of The Garden Gurus coming up for you this weekend. I hope you've been enjoying the season so far. We're obviously just getting into things. How about we have a look at what's coming up this weekend? If you've got a favourite plant in your garden that causes a big problem to you or anyone in the family, don't be scared to prune it before it flowers. 
I love being a part of that whole journey of taking something that's quite small and looks like nothing and turning it into delicious foods and even flowers. If you're after more shade, you could plant some taller plants or trees so that in the afternoon with that sun coming down, you can relax in summer, maybe have a few bevies. How good's that, hey? They're just two fantastic presenters. Bonnie Marie does an awesome job out of Melbourne. And that Nige Ruck, I've got to tell you, he is funny, but he actually knows his stuff. He is very, very clever. So we've got another great episode, and of course it is the time to be planting, so there's lots of suggestions in that space. I hope, I hope um, that you, I'm hoping that you um, have enjoyed what we're doing and that you are sharing this with your friends. Remember, we are coming to you uh, via our Facebook page, but we're also coming to you via YouTube. And if you want to ask a question, please tell us where you're from. It makes it so much easier for me to help you. Now, Vipin has come to us from YouTube, actually, in Melbourne. Would you please advise a great companion plant for jasmines? Is it true that jasmines can attract snakes? And if that's the case, please advise a few snake-deterring plants. Well, I've never heard that jasmine attracts snakes. So first thing is now is when you're starting to see some of the winter flowering jasmines really come into their own and then we'll move into summer um, with um, things like jasmine azoricum, the azores jasmine, uh, which produces flowers consistently throughout summer. Never heard the story about snakes. And uh, there is, in different parts of the world, plants that they say are snake-deterring plants, but I've never really seen that here. It was probably something more along the lines, and this is the, the common theme of very pungent foliage plants. So if it's a very pungent foliage plant, you might not, uh, you might not have sort of snakes occur, but snakes tend to stay away if there's a lot of activity. So, um, you know, activity in and around the garden, movement all the time. And, of course, they're going to tend to base themselves where it's warm at the moment. So they're looking for warm spots to come and sun themselves. And two, uh, you know, if there's some tall grass and things like that, um, they can hide and they can be protected. So that's my my bit of uh, advice. Now, when it comes to companion plants for jasmines, just to go back a bit, so jasmines typically are climbing. Not all of them are. Sandback, for example, is a variety of jasmine. It's almost shrubby in its habit. Um, what you'll tend to find is they do like to have their own space. So uh, within my own garden, I've got jasmine growing up fences, and in front of it I've got things like hydrangeas. Now, they're very complementary to each other because basically when the winter flowering and spring flowering jasmines are finished, hydrangeas are just coming through and hitting their straps. Um, as far as companion planting, there's not too many guides, I would think, that would suggest that you need to plant jasmine with another plant to get a particularly good result. So... Hopefully that helps you. It's a really good question, Vipin. Thank you very much for your question uh, coming to us from YouTube all the way out of Melbourne. Speaking of Victoria, from Red Hill, we've got Rita. Now, we've got Arthropodium serratum that's being eaten. Not sure what's eating it. What can I do to stop it? Now, Arthropodium is the beautiful... Um, it's a flax lily that comes out of New Zealand. It is a true lily and uh, tends to love um, sort of water um, or very close to that. And the thing that loves that more than it loves water are snails and slugs. And that'll be what's eating um, your arthropodiums for sure. I'll guarantee you that that's what's ripping into them. So the New Zealand um, flax lily, or uh, it's got a number of common names, um, is something that's very vulnerable to to snails and slugs. The controls for them, there's a couple of natural controls that are now available. I know there's a great one that's been released recently by the guys from Seasol. Um, that's one you could look out for in your local Bunnings store. If you're, if you're there, you can shop online. I think there's click and collect with Bunnings. Um, but there's also uh, some, obviously, the traditional snail baits, which I tend not to recommend because they're extremely poisonous. Um, that's one thing that you can kind of look at. I think you're really getting good guys with your questions too. Ellie, for example, is tuning in from Queensland. I'm not sure what part, but Ellie, this has got to be the question of the week, I reckon. How do you stop possums from eating roses? You've tried the possum spray, owls, coffee grounds, nothing's working. Any ideas are gratefully received. All right. Roses, get out on a warm day, get out, wet them down, and go and grab a big packet 
of white pepper and just shake it around the top of the roses. I guarantee you that night you will hear sneezing. And that's one thing that so possums and dogs and cats tend to have very sensitive sense of smell. And they'll get up and as they get close and they go to actually chew on them, it'll get up their nose and they'll start sneezing and it'll make them go away. So that's a simple solution. Even works with kangaroos, believe it or not. So hopefully that helps. I know there are a couple of possum sprays. I've noticed in my local garden centre recently that they're selling products called possum sprays. Not sure how they work, but I do know that white pepper does a good job. And I suspect that chilli powder mixed with it would be even more effective. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made wolf garden tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. Use the code GURUS for free shipping on orders over $30. Offer ends 31st of October. Let's have a bit of a look further down the line. We've got a lot of questions coming through, uh, quite a few from Victoria. This one's from Pam in Sydney, though. She's got a teddy bear magnolia. It's in a pot. Now, you found cobwebs under one of the leaves. They've got spots on them. How should you treat it? Now, if it's only under one of the leaves, I wouldn't worry too much. It's a spider, almost for sure. This time of the year, with their very fine little cobwebs, and you're seeing silvering of the leaves, which you really shouldn't see this time of the year, so I doubt it is, it's possible that it's red spider mite. Um, if that's red spider mite, you're going to need to use a systemic insecticide. There's a number of them that are available. I would talk to your local garden centre and I would order one from them. But my gut feeling is that this is just um, spiders and if it's just a spider and you've got two or three in your teddy bear magnolia, I would leave them because they help control many of the pests that could be problems later on. So you make the choice. Hopefully that helps. Rosemary's in Perth in the suburb of Inaloo. She's got a an interesting plant. My pandan this year looks sad and dry, but it got heaps of rain this year. I'm not sure if I've lost it. What can I do? Well, pandan uh, is a member of the pandanus family. It's, uh, it's uh, something that is traditionally used uh, in Asian cuisine and cooking. Uh, pandan cakes are some of my favourites. Um, interestingly enough, it is a tropical plant, so it doesn't like the cold, and we've had an exceptionally cold winter here. And I suspect that all you're seeing is the, is the cool weather from uh, July is really causing these kinds of issues. So I think you just need some warm weather, Rosemary. I, that's the only advice I can give you at the moment. Um, Try and get as much sunlight on it as you can. If it's in a pot, move it down to the sunniest spot you've got and it'll help. If it's in the ground, we're just going to need summer to do its job, um, which will be not that far away. So we've got a few weeks of spring and no doubt it'll be it'll be a big deal not too far down the line. Suzanne is in Melbourne. Let's go through. We've got a few in Melbourne. So Suzanne's in Melbourne. Do I trim the new growth on Bucks's hedge? Yes, you do. Let that, just let it sort of come out a little bit, but don't let it get too untidy. Then go through with the hedge trimmer. Um, little technique. When you're pruning uh, the sides, bottom to the top, bottom to the top, and with the with the top, it's always great when you're pruning. If you're using head shears, sh so broad, straight shoulders, and that'll give you a nice cut across the top. Or if it's an, a mechanical head shear, um, those battery-operated ones from Still, I use those. And the trick with them, again, is balance. So straight, straight look, and then walk down the line, and you'll end up with a nice straight top. Um, that's the best bit of advice I can give you. Lisbeth, we're not quite sure where you're from, but you've got a golden passion fruit and um, you transplanted it um, as it needed a new trellis and it's left a couple of main vines about two minutes. Should I cut these off to give it a better chance of taking off? No. If you've got main vines, what I would do is cut all the foliage off. Um, believe it or not, a passion fruit will transplant reasonably well so you probably will find that it's not an issue for you it will bounce back but um, you just need some warm weather the golden passion fruit is far more tropical in its um in its way it grows and it probably will need a bit of warmth so fingers crossed if you're in melbourne you might be in trouble if you're in new south wales particularly northern new south wales or queensland or, or northern wa you should be fine 
Matthew's in Melbourne. Hello, Matthew. Um, any tips on growing stir desert peas? So a dozen seeds two months ago and only one has sprouted. So Matthew, typically in Melbourne, now would be when I'd be putting the stir desert pea in. Um, they're in full bloom. I've just been in the north of Western Australia, full bloom up there at the moment, um, but it's warm and they do need the warmth for the seeds to germinate. Now, you probably find that you'll have some of those seeds will germinate as the weather warms up. So you might be okay, but I would be suggesting that you actually look at planting some more. It won't hurt, and I would leave it to the end of September in Melbourne so that you do have some consistent warm days. It's all about soil temperature in this particular instance, getting it as warm as you can. Staying in Melbourne, Tyson's in Baronia. Can you give me any tips on how I should water my primula plants to make them grow? Uh, all you should do with your primulas right at the moment, I've got beautiful primulas at home, give them liquid fertiliser. So we liquid feed once a week over the foliage. You use a flowering fertiliser. So there's different types of fertilisers for different types of things. Uh, Thrive for flowers is the one that I would be suggesting you try, Tyson. I hope that helps. Jenny's in Perth. and My mango trees have brown spots, look a bit burnt. Is it too much water with the rain? It's not too much water. It's the cold, Jenny. And those brown spots tend to be something we call anthracnose. It's a disease, um, bacterial disease of the plant. If it gets really bad and you start to see leaves falling off and dieback occurring, you need to treat it using a copper-based spray. There's a number of special sprays for anthracnose. Um, but to be quite honest, we're moving into the warmer weather and the warmer weather will help solve the problem. So hopefully you can go through the natural process and we don't have to use any chemicals. Peter has come to us from YouTube. We've got a couple of YouTubers come through. Um, is a veggie mix from a nursery good for raised garden beds? Veggie mix is a blend of soil, sand, ash, bark finds, mushroom compost, cow manure and duck manure. Got a couple of interesting ones in there, ash and duck manure. Ash tends to be quite alkaline. Uh, mushroom compost is the same. Got no idea with duck manure, but they're all fabulous fertilisers. And if the mix is right and it's open and airy, um, I think that you'll find that your raised garden beds should be fine for vegetables. I That sort of mix looks to me like it's perfect. Anna has just let us know. She's from Melbourne. Great. Anna, thank you. I've green bugs like ladybugs eating my lily pillies. What can I do? Well, there are a couple of beetles out there that are quite active on lily pillies about this time of the year as a new growth comes through. And there's some beetle sprays out there. There's a few different ones. I'm not going to suggest a particular brand just at this moment in time. What I would suggest you do is take a little a little bit of the stem, a bit of the damage that's been done, and uh, in a sealed plastic bag with a bug ideally in it, take it and just show your local garden centre and they'll give you a, there's a couple of sprays. And all you do is spray over the top of the plant and once you break the cycle, it's only one spray with bugs as a general comment. Um, you'll break it and they'll leave them alone after that. Now, we've caused a bit of a stir. In fact, there's a storm of interest in this very special thing that we've decided to do for this series of The Garden Gurus. We have got a $20,000 edible garden makeover coming up as a competition. Now, it's your chance to enter and it is sensational. Have a look at this little clip. If there is one question we get asked a lot here at The Garden Gurus, it's how about you come to my place and build a garden? Well, how about we do just that? Here's your chance to win an amazing $20,000 edible garden makeover. All you have to do is head to our Facebook page, like it and share a photo of your garden and tell us in 25 words or less why a Garden Gurus edible garden could transform your life. Whilst online, check out our Instagram page for great garden inspiration. Good luck. What an exciting competition. Now, look, this could be for you to enjoy yourself um, in your own backyard and it would probably transform your life. But you could also, if you don't have a garden, maybe you have a local primary school or high school, or maybe you have a community garden that would benefit from us coming out and building a beautiful garden for all of the community to share. Well, please enter. It's a great competition. It's a once-off, really. You're never going to get this opportunity again, I think. So I would love to come out and build and design and create something that changes your life forever. Now, I've got to say a big thanks to everybody for writing in. Tyson has sent us a lot of questions. We tend to answer one or two per person each week because there are so many. In fact, there are so many at the moment 
that what we're going to do is we're going to roll them over into next week's show so I can answer more of them because we've run out of time. Can't believe it. Um, now, Lachlan is going to send off a message to our seed and wooden dibbler winners today after today's show. Um, don't forget the Garden Gurus is back on air. We're playing. You need to check your local guides because it is juggling around a little bit. And I know some people have sort of said, oh, I missed it or whatever. Check your local guides. But I, I'm pretty sure at the moment it's 2.30 in New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland, 4.30 WA, South Australia, Northern Territory and possibly Tasmania. But please check your local guides. It really will help. And, of course, enter the competition. That's the great opportunity. You do that via um, our Facebook page. And if you want any more information, if there's something you missed from the weekend, if there's just some general referencing that you would like to do because you're thinking about tackling in your guts, tackling something in your garden, our webpage is amazing, thegardengurus.tv. You can jump on there. You can watch stories from past shows. You can watch past episodes. You've got fact sheets. You've got links to great garden centres, to to great products, to learn more. It's what it's all about. It's a wonderful resource if you use it the right way. And, of course, if you want to watch programs, our YouTube channel, thegardengurus.tv, is always a good place to go. If you've enjoyed today's show, maybe you've only caught part of it or maybe you had to go somewhere but you'd like to catch up with the rest of it, you can always listen to our live stream um, via or today's live stream via previous episodes. So as a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast and Audible, they're all platforms that you can podcast at. We were delighted recently to be told we're the fifth most popular gardening podcast in the country at the moment, which is just sensational. And that all comes through your support and help. So thank you for that. Please join us next Monday. I'm back uh, for another session of The Garden Gurus Live. And also, um, oh, Lockie's just uh, just telling me something. Um Oh, yeah. Actually, look, before we do go, if you're from WA, this coming weekend, this Sunday at 8.30 a.m. Western Standard Time, we're doing a special WA edition of The Garden Gurus Live. It's sponsored by Perth Water Corporation. We'll be streaming live on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and as well as on the Water Corporation's Facebook page. This is your chance to ask questions very specific to WA and particularly about water-wise gardening. Thanks for that reminder, Lockie, and I'll get you to scroll back down so I can finish off the show, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Midday Australian Eastern Standard Time, that's it's 10 a.m. Western Standard Time. I hope you're all well. You know, we are going through some pretty tough times. I know you guys in Melbourne are about to break the record uh, internationally for the longest lockdown in the world. And it's a big challenge for many of you. It is a chance to get into the garden. Getting into the garden is very good for relieving stress and, and getting you out into a different environment. So it's a very healthy way to go. If we can be of any service to you at all, don't hesitate to contact us via our Facebook page. Take care, everybody. I'm Trevor Cochran. Happy gardening. We'll see you soon.